Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be very shortly. We're going to start in verse 12 in just a moment, reading through it. And so um, but as you're getting there, I want to especially welcome you if you're new into this room. If, you're, if this is your very first time visiting here, I want you to know that we've prayed over this place. We've prayed over you as a gathering. We've asked God to bless you in this moment. And we would love to know that you're here. If you're online, you can comment and just say, hey, I'm here, I'm watching. And if you're new in the room, we'd love to know about your visit. You can fill out the, the card in the seat back in front of you. Drop it in the give boxes on your way out, and we'll contact you in a respectful way. Now, it is a joy um, to honor everything good about being a father. It's a really good thing. God has ordained it to be a good thing. I know that some people walk into this space with great complexity around their dads, or maybe about the desire to be a dad. Um, but ultimately, we want to lift up Jesus Christ and the reality that God himself is a good father, and he's given us to one another in the context of the church. And the role of church in our families is so important. And what we just did, what we participated in, in a parent-child dedication where parents are saying, hey, we're going to need you in the years to come. Some of you have already needed the body of Christ when it comes to thinking about your family. And if you haven't, I promise you, there's going to be a day that comes where you need people around you that you know are praying for you. And so I long for us to be that kind of family. I long for us to be that kind of church. Now, even as we kind of think about what the church means and how it plays this role in families, it's so important for us as a church to know what a faithful church is. What does it look like to be the church? Um, there's a few weeks ago, there was a Christian influencer that basically put out on Instagram and Twitter and all the different places that, that she was done with organized church. She was disillusioned with it. And now church, I'm putting this in quotes, for her was sitting on her front porch with her best friends and looking at her pecan trees. And so we have to, as a people, know what it means to be a church so that we don't have this elusive grasp on just hanging out with our friends who also happen to be Christians. So I want to bring this question to you before we look at God's Word today. What does it mean for us to be a faithful church? And what I believe we're going to see is that the gospel, when we embrace this gospel from Jesus Christ that we've been reconciled to God and put into family with one another, it redefines our relationships. It makes a great distinction on how we treat one another, specifically those who are in leadership, and how we do good to one another. God gets to define what we call good when it comes to relating to one another. And so we're going to ask God to speak to us. I want to invite you to ask God to speak to you today and to our own hearts through his word, starting in chapter 5, verse 12. This is 10th week in 1 Thessalonians, okay? So we've been building on this for a while, and this is, the, this is the conclusion of this book. He's transitioning to the end, and final instructions before he closes the book is this. Look at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I ask today that as we look at your word, that you would help it to come alive to us. That we would see its relevance when we consider both how we look at leadership within the church and then also how we look at one another. Pray that you would inform the role that we play in the context of our families and within this family of faith. I pray that you'd make us more and more and more connected as your people, more representative of your love to one another on this earth. We pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven because of this word today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A couple of points in this passage, and I'm going to just get straight to it. First is respect your leaders, and the second one is to do good to one another. First, he starts out this exhortation. He says, we want to ask you to do this. Respect your leaders. Look at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So, I want to answer a few questions about leadership in the church. One of the things that makes the church the church is qualified leadership. This is what makes the church distinct according to his word. It's not just a group of people who can gather in the name of Jesus in your house or wherever. There has to be qualified leadership. Everywhere the church is described in God's word, he describes it with the context of someone taking a specific type of responsibility. So we're going to first look at who are these people? Um, this was most likely elders. It definitely did not exclude elders from the church at first in Thessalonica. It probably included deacons, those that were serving in the Lord, those who took responsibility for those um, in the church. And so it doesn't seem to be limited to elders, but it certainly doesn't exclude elders. So we're going to start with that. What does it look like to be an elder and oversee in the Lord? So if, if God is commanding the people in the church to respect those in leadership, you first have to know that these people are to be respectable, right? Like the people in leadership has to be the kind of folks that you say, hey, I'd like to model my life after them. They're to be respected. In Titus chapter one, verse seven, it describes them like this. An overseer, for an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then it goes on in, in uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, to describe it in this way. This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what is it that causes us to respect this noble task? This is how it describes the overseer. They have to be the husband of one wife. I'm sorry, above reproach. Husband of one wife. 
sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, for he may become puffed up with conceit, fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So, in other words, he can't just be respected in the church. He has to be respected outside of the church. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Two things I want to point out about these qualifications of elders, okay? First, they're extremely ordinary, They're they're not extraordinary qualifications. In fact, there's only one qualification of an elder that isn't, isn't a qualification of every believer or expected of every believer, and that's the ability to teach. So every other thing on that list, look, if you're looking around going, glad I'm not an elder, guess what? Um, every person who professes faith in Jesus Christ, there's some other place where it describes Christianity in that way. So they're ordinary requirements. And then the, the bucket, the, the junk drawer of this list is just being above reproach. No one is perfect. Look, if you get to know your elders in this church, you're going to know that they're not perfect men. But above reproach means that, that, that you could generally follow the direction of their lives and get to be closer to Jesus. So that's who they are. Now, what do they do? This past week, my wife was driving past the church and she had a, a, a car load full of kids and my truck was out in the parking lot and there was a kid that said, what's he doing up there? Just rehearsing his talk for Sunday? <laughs> what's he do all week? <laughs> it's really important that you see what these people do. And there's three things in this, in this passage that describes what they do. First, it's a labor. They labor among you. They work hard. They're not lazy. So many people wonder what we're doing. Listen, there's so many things outside of this moment that's very visible through counseling and coaching and preparing and thinking about the strategy of how we might make disciples in the context of the church, how we can glorify God to the best of our ability. There's so many moments that are consumed with the outcome of your spiritual health. That's the second thing that it says. Look, uh, the shepherds, they are over you in the Lord. Now, whether this is talking about elders or deacons or the first person on your team that leads your team to accomplish ministry, there's a sense in which they're taking responsibility that is above other people's responsibility in the context of the church. It means that they're, uh, they're... familiar with the work that has to be accomplished. And so if you're wondering what we do, listen, come along, come, come, come up here on any day of the week, and I would love to introduce you to some of the tasks, and I'll probably share some of them with you. <laughs> They're over you in the Lord. They labor in love. And the last thing it says that they, it, it's in the Lord, and they pay careful attention. They admonish you. Um, in other words, they're looking not only at themselves, but they're looking at the task of, of leading you towards Jesus. They're admonishing you towards hope. They hold out hope for people in this congregation. True spiritual leaders, they have an imagination for where you are not yet. They have an imagination for who you're becoming. And, and spiritual leaders within the context of the church, they not only see who you're becoming, but they play their part in it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it summarizes this role like this. He's giving an exhortation to elders and leaders, and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In other words, 
First, they have to pay attention to their lives. They have to watch themselves in a different way. And they have to look over you. They pay attention to themselves and to all the flock. And then it says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. In other words, they're stewards of someone else's farm. They're just... They're just stewards for what Christ has purchased by his blood. And he gives us this ministry of shepherding. And in order to be good shepherds, you've got to smell like the sheep. You've got to smell like them. And I'm going to tell you something. Sheep, sometimes they smell very strongly. But you're familiar and you're acquainted and you have an imagination for who they're going to be 10 years from now. And they step into that with this third role to admonish you. This means that they give instruction. They influence you. They know the role that they might play and they step into it. They take the risk. They say the thing that potentially could be uh, offensive. And so last, I want to give you some, some tips on what it's saying, how we should treat people in leadership. Now, if you're like, hey, isn't that kind of weird? You're telling people to respect you? Listen, I am a co-shepherd with the other elders of this church. I'm one among equals. And so I'm inviting you not to obey me or to respect me, but to ultimately respect our chief shepherd who by his own blood purchased this church. And so we get to step into that and say, okay, Lord, how would you have us behave when it comes to authority specifically within the church? So how does it say we should treat them? First, respect. That means that you're going to have to know your elders well enough to know the ways that you might want to follow them and give them respect. You cannot esteem them in love if you're not acquainted with them. And so if you're part of a church where you cannot potentially know an elder, that's a problem. Because God isn't just calling you to respect them. Listen, you can respect authority for any city, for any government. But in order to esteem them in love, you've got to be acquainted with them. You've got to be close enough to know who they are, to admire and value them in love. None of them are perfect, but they are the people that God has placed in spiritual leadership in your life. And so as he puts them there, we're supposed to see the task, respect them, esteem them in love, and then um, create a culture of honor. I love this passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection and then outdo one another in showing honor. Listen, we live in a culture that is just defined by contempt, especially for authority. People want to have contempt for anyone who has any kind of power. The scriptures and the gospel invites us to be part of a culture that's completely different from that, that outdoes one another in showing honor. And, and let me tell you a way that you can do that practically is be at peace among yourselves. That's what it says. So you don't repay evil for evil. You, you be at peace among yourselves. How do you do that? It isn't just by respecting the leaders. It's by getting along with one another. That you're not the kind of people who are easily offended. That's what the gospel turns us into. We are just so generous with the benefit of the doubt because of what Christ has done for us that when we look at each other, we say, I have every bit of generosity to give you when it comes to assuming the best about who you are and what God is accomplishing in your life. That's the kind of people God wants his church to be. So generous with the benefit of the doubt. So hard to offend. So hard to be brought to outrage. Because the most outrageous thing that God 
could have suffered in our place for our sins, who had never offended anything of God's holiness and righteous law. And instead of taking our sins as only offense, he poured out his mercy on the cross. And that's the Christ who redeems us and invites us to dispense that kind of love in the world. And then it transitions. Now, the rest of this passage, not ha- it doesn't just have to do with how we treat people who have spiritual leadership in our life. It transitions to how you guys ought to treat one another. And it concludes with this in verse 15. It says, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And just before this, in the previous two verses, it's going to explain how we do that. How do we seek to do good? And I want to answer that question with what the passage says, right leading up to it. We're called to enjoy this fellowship with God and with one another, both in partnership and in purpose. Now, our relationships have a story, and, and this story shouldn't grow old to us. We should be familiar with the gospel story when it comes to how we're supposed to relate to one another. Most of us If we seek to do good, it is because of God's intervention in our life. Here's why. You were created with this stamp of God's glory and image on you as a human, uh, uh, as in God's image. He created you. Male, female, he created them. And as he created us, he made us so that we would reflect his communion that he has shared within the Trinity for all eternity. Now I'm going to go way up in the clouds here. He wants every person to demonstrate that distinction and unity with the way that we relate to one another. But there's something terribly wrong. Most of you, when you think about your human relationships, you could sing together with the song we just sang. Do you feel the world is broken? Everybody says, yes, we do. We do feel that it's broken. And if you don't feel that it's broken, look at the family relationships around you. Look at how difficult it is to just do good to people, even who do good to you much less those who are enemies to you. And Christ is inviting us to embody this kind of goodness that he gives us through his son. And so what does it look like to seek to do good? There's three ways that he, he displays in this, in this passage. First is admonish the idol. Apparently, this church had a real problem with people getting idle. Okay? They, were, they, they had a real hard time recruiting volunteers for kids' ministry at this church. I mean, I don't know... <laughs> I don't know how, in 2 Thessalonians, in fact, they, they uh, address it again. In, Thess- in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So, <laughs> this church, I don't know if we have anything in common with this church, but I just say most people... Most people have something in common with this idea that we need to be admonished out of idleness and into God's purpose. Another word that the Bible describes this specific sin is sloth. Slothfulness. It is one of the the seven deadly sins. It's one of the most dangerous ways that we could reject God's purpose and design for our lives because he didn't just design us to be in good relationships with one another. He designed us with great purpose. He stamped on every one of us this commission to not only be created, but to be part of his creation, developing and establishing and stepping against the chaos into the world and saying, I want to bring order. I want to bring about God's good design for his creation. And so because the world is broken, it's always going to um, rise up against us. That's why we got thorns and thistles in the farm ground, right? 
It's always going to be broken. But because of sin, Christ is not only leaving us there, he's inviting us to be part of his purpose. So that's what the gospel story is for our work. He's saying, hey, all of you who are idle, who are slothful, who maybe have lost your sense of purpose, you're listless, and you spend more time on social media than anywhere else in the world. In this virtual world, he's saying, hey, I want to invite you to be part of what I'm doing in the world. So admonish the idol. There's a a Catholic scholar who describes sloth in this way. It's going to be on the screen. Sloth rejects the burden of order, choosing instead the breezy lightness of freedom, loving self more than relation, and autonomy more than the good. In sloth, one rejects the weight and density of living in an ordered creation. So for every person who's idle, here's what I would say to you. There's a way in which the world and its culture and sin and our great enemy would lure you into idleness and and lack of purpose. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is saying, hey, there's something really important that I'm accomplishing in this world. And I would love for you to be part of it. In fact, you were designed for it. You get to be part of what I'm doing on this earth. And part of what it means to be the church is we look at idleness and we say, we don't want to leave you alone. We never apologize for asking you to volunteer because you might be missing out on the most important thing you do this week. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says this, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. So I just want you to pause and consider for a moment. How do we live into that verse? How do we consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. It means that when we're slothful and when we're idle, we continue to extend this invitation to be part of something that matters more than catching up on your your feeds. We're inviting people to see the risk of a wasted life. See it. The easiest time in history to fill up your boredom with distraction. It's the easiest time to be fascinated with, the, with things that are just worthless when it comes to eternity. And God is saying, admonish those who are idle among you so that they might get in on the good thing that I'm doing on this earth. The only thing that will outlive themselves in this life. So know the risk. It's the easiest time to waste your life and call it being connected. It is the easiest time. And so I'm admonishing you right now. <laughs> to know your purpose and know the parts that you play. Not only did God design you with great purpose, he probably gave you some ways in which to fulfill that purpose that are distinct to you. I mean, it is just a way that only you could play your part within the family of of Jesus. And so for those of you who are either unsure or just distracted and you don't know what all the resources are um, that you might bring, here's what I'd say. There's a really simple way to respond to me admonishing the idol. There's a card in front of you that has all the ways that we serve. And so if you're unsure, here's what I want you to know. We honor those people who are living into their purpose. There are people, there's someone right now that's been serving for three weeks in a row with K through fifth grade. And, And isn't that great? Isn't that just like Jesus to give up her seat in order that other people might come here and worship King Jesus? That's so much like him. Seek to do good. 
Don't waste any more time. Now, if you are idle, I have some really good news for you that, it, that it's not just an invitation to serve on kids' ministry, security, technology, prayer ministry, greeters, groups, hosts, because all those things are great ways to respond to this, okay? We need all of those things to happen in order for us to continue being a healthy church. Listen, God is adding to our number. That's praiseworthy and good. But if we cannot tend to the people that God calls here, then we will not be a faithful church. So we need people to lead small groups and to sit, to just come here early and pray over everything that happens. It doesn't even cost much to do that. Like once a month, come here and pray over everything that happens in this place. Serve behind the desk. Find a place that you can play your role within the church. Now, if you're late to the work party, you know the people that are late to the work party. <laughs> you know the one, y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you plan some really important work in the kitchen or something. They walk in and say, what can I do? And it's all put away. <laughs> you know those people? I have some really good news for you if that's you. Jesus told this story in Matthew chapter 20. I love this story and I hate this story because if you showed up early, you're going to be really offended by Jesus. Here's the story. He tells some people, he goes and finds some workers to come in his vineyard and work. And some of them show up at the beginning of the day and they've been working hard. About midday, Jesus says, he goes back to the place where you collect some workers and says, why have you been idle half the day? And he said, y'all come with me. I'm going to put you to work. He puts them to work. And then he goes at the very last hour. And some people have been standing idle all day long. And if you really want to get offended by Jesus, he pays them all the same wage. In other words, if you show up late to the work party, the same reward in Christ belongs to you. That's the grace of Jesus. Isn't that good news? That even if you've been missing out on your purpose or standing idle for whoever knows how long, God is still saying, there's a place for you to work in my vineyard and you're going to get the same reward for your contribution as those who've been here all day long. Isn't that good news about God's grace? I'm going to keep moving. The second thing is this. Some of you might not be working because you don't have it to give right now. You might be under the second category called the faint-hearted. There are some people always within the church that are walking through a period of trial and they feel like they have nothing to give. And here's what I want to say to you. This is a place where you're welcomed and you can stay here as long as you need. Just stay. And for those of you who are surrounded by people who just feel like they have nothing to give, this is an admonishment to us to encourage those who are faint-hearted to feel like they're at the end of their rope. The church is supposed to be the kind of place where those people can show up. And here's how I know that that first description that I gave you of the lady on her porch with her best friends isn't church. Because some people that are faint-hearted and weak are not people you would choose to hang out with. <laughs> you might not choose to surround yourself with weak people or faint-hearted, but the church is just full of those kind of people. And God says you have a role to play in one another's lives. There's going to be moments where you have something to give and you didn't give it and you get admonished to give it. And there's going to be other times when you just come and receive because you need encouragement. You need someone to speak into the places where you feel more burdened and take on this burden that's light and yoke that's easy and somebody standing next to you saying, hey, this is not the end of your story. That's what it means to seek to do good. And then lastly, to help the weak. There are those who literally need physical care. They need prayer, yes, but they also need tending. They need people who are in spiritual oversight with them who will get close enough to their wounds to anoint them with oil and pray for healing. They need people that will step into one another's lives. And, and ultimately, 
It's not about us seeking to do good. It's about Christ doing good through us to one another. Because we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. So we're invited to demonstrate that kind of priesthood to, to one another. In 1 Peter it says, you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And so in other words, we get to demonstrate the very presence of Christ to one another and be patient with them all. That's how we do all of it. That's how we admonish the people that are idle. That's how we encourage those who are weak and faint-hearted. We're patient. It means that we're, we, we understand that it might not be as quick as we want them to be delivered. The, the future for someone might be bright in our minds, but it might take the rest of their life to get there. So we're patient with one another. And then see that no one repays evil for evil. Listen, the church is no place for retaliation or conclusions that do not include the gospel. We don't look at one another and say, oh, they're this kind of person, period, done. God's work is not finished from this day to glory. So we don't repay one another for evil. We are at peace with one another. And in all those places, Jesus is showing off his goodness. And I want to conclude with this, two things. First, Jesus is our great shepherd. He's the one that we ultimately respect. In every place that you've had good, qualified spiritual leadership, it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's because he's taken an interest in you as his church. It's because he has shown up and rescued you from yourself and shown off his redemption in your life. And in all those places, we worship him. So every smaller respect that we give to human people that are in roles of leadership, all of that respect... Ultimately, it demonstrates that we respect a chief shepherd who is an overseer for our souls. He's the one that we both answer to and honor within the context of the church. So if our church isn't working right, let's say that we're like getting it all wrong. You know who's not honored in it? It's not just one another. It's our chief shepherd who's saying, this is how you should behave with one another. This is how you love one another. He's present in our love, brothers and sisters, are representative of Christ's great patience and love for you. He's the one ultimately admonishing the idol. He's the one who's ultimately saying, hey, I'd love for you not to miss out on what I'm doing here on this earth. It's not because somebody needs you to serve on their team. It's because God is wanting you to get on, on something really good. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And he always has perfect patience He's filling everyone who believes with patience. That is a virtue. That's the fruit of the Spirit. He's suffering in our place for sins. He did the ultimate labor of love. Look, we respect earthly leaders because they're, we esteem them in love because they're laboring to care for us. They're losing sleep over the spiritual outcome of our souls. But Jesus ultimately labored in love. He laid down his life for the sheep. He never slacked off. He never lacked encouragement. He never shuns the weak, but invites them to be with him. He's always patient, always kind. He's always gentle, always lowly. And he invites you to take his yoke on you and learn from him. Because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And then I want to ask you this question in conclusion. Where is God inviting you to join him in his work? 
Where's God inviting you to join him in his work? If he's doing all these things in the context of the church, we need Christians who are taking up that mantle and saying, I want to reflect the way that God has loved me in the context of the church. That might mean admonishment. It might mean correction. It ultimately means glory to Jesus Christ. And so today, if you're not respecting those who are in spiritual leadership, you can repent and believe that Christ is enough in all the places that you doubt other people. If you're not playing your role within the context of the church, here's, here's what I want you to know. The church is a lot more like a farm than a farmer's market, okay? It's a lot more like a farm. It's not a place to come and, and consume the goods that have been yielded from the crop. It's a place where you step into the rows of, of produce that need to be farmed. And so for all of you who've been missing out, and maybe you just came because you're weak and faint-hearted, and right now that's okay. Some of you need to move from the farmer's market into the farm and say, I'm going to pick up the plow and, and say, by God's grace, I'll play the role that God has asked me to play within the context of the church. There is work to be done, and I'd really hate for you to miss out on it. So if you've been idle and you're like, what do I do? Very practically, here's a list. If there are people among us that, need, that are faint-hearted and you just need to be encouraged today, I would love to pray over you. I'd love for you to find me after this service is over and for me just to pray that God would strengthen you. If you feel weak and faint-hearted, we want to pray for one another. You've got to be close enough for people to pray that over you. You have to be acquainted with one another. There's those of you who need help, and so... Today, if you're in any of those places, maybe God's inviting us to play a role in your life and for you to yield and say, I need help. Love to, to pray over you now, and then we're going to have communion together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. I pray that in it, we would receive it as a good gift from you. Lord, I pray that as we worship you, um, those who are far from you, if they feel like maybe they don't know this good gospel, that you're a, a great shepherd over us, your sheep, I pray that you would adopt them as your own today. That, that maybe that today would be a day of faith and repentance, a day of great joy as they see your kindness and patience poured out on them. And those who feel disconnected from their purpose, maybe the part that they play would become clear to them. Father, I pray that in all these things that you'd be both glorified and enjoyed by this, your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.